This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Oh, hey! Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I don't know, they're both good. (laughs) I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. (laughs) Oh, cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graff, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically, I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you'd never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Okay. I'm super excited today because I have a really, really inspiring and exciting guest today, Michael from Pies in the Window. So Michael's an artist and a baker living in Oklahoma City, and her current work explores the paths between empowerment, acceptance, sexuality, and objectification using hand-sculpted desserts as her media of choice. Her life has followed a curving path from artist to wife and mother to public school art teacher to baker and finally back to artist. Interestingly, It was the slow process of spending hours in the kitchen seeking perfection in baking that awakened the inspiration to artistically tackle her feelings about the proverbial woman's place. Ooh, this is going to be juicy. She found pie was the perfect symbol to explore all the complexities, beginning with the vulva being a source of pleasure and portal of life while also being a source of shame and fear. Like pie, it's often treated as a consumable commodity. Her work celebrates the beauty of the body and showcases the diversity of normal bodies. You can check it out at piesinthewindow.com or her Instagram is just chock-a-block with incredible photos of just the most spectacular pie art. I don't think I was, you know, I ever anticipated saying that in a sentence, pie art, but um, it's pretty special. And she's also started making uh, booby cakes. I don't know if that's what she likes to call them, but, you know, breast cakes. And uh, it's just like a total, it's like a total like worship of the feminine form. And I'm so in love with it. I'm really excited to have her here today. Welcome, Michael. Oh, thank you. I am so excited to be here with you. And I am such a fan of your work. 
And I have to tell you, I have learned so much from reading your blog and watching your reels on Instagram. You're just, you're an inspiration. And, you know, I make pie, but you're kind of, you enlighten me. I'll put it that way. (laughs) Oh, my God. Huge. We had, you had it here first, guys. That is so, I'm like, my my face is cracking from smiling so much. I just love hearing that. Thank you so much. That's really huge. Oh, oh amazing. Good. Well, this is this is a match made in heaven. I'm really excited to get stuck in. Um, and yeah, I just I adore the way that you've made vulva diversity and body positivity so so accessible, so palatable, literally, literally palatable. Yeah. Like just approachable yes. through your medium of pies and, and baked goods. Um, I think it showcases the variety that I get to see in my work all the time, but that, you know, the average person doesn't see in their day-to-day lives. And you're doing it in this really lovely way um, that I think meets people. It's, it's a good place to meet people because often genitals or like depictions of vulvas can be kind of confronting for people or like might be considered vulgar or explicit. But I think that you're showcasing, showcasing them in this like pretty PG, non-offensive, non-vulgar way that's like tinged with humor a little bit. I mean, at least in my mind, but I do tend to see things through a lens of hilarity. <laughs> Um, and it just like it shows the beauty and reverence that I feel should be attached to that real raw female form. Um, so yeah, it's just a powerful way of normalizing genitals and diversity. And and like I see it, I don't know if this is your intention, but I see it as a bit of a fuck you to the patriarchal systems that it, like oppress oh, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's that's exactly. A, a point that is a layer and I always like to say it has flaky layers like pie crust because <laughs> that's how it is you know I'm taking vulvas and putting it in a pie plate there has to be some humor there somewhere I do catch the <laughs> all the symbols are in there baked in the yeah. pie <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I love that I just love that so much um <laughs> So did you set out to do this when you started baking vulva pies or has it like has this new avenue just sort of taken on a life of its own and evolved as you've gone along like you know what gave you the first idea to make a yoni pie like how how did this all start Right well um in college I'll start I'll take you back a little ways in college a long time, long, long ago, <laughs> I, I was a very strong feminist artist, and I did a lot of nudes and a lot of confrontational graphic images. And it was a, a fuck you to the patriarchy. My art was mm-hmm. angry, and I was angry, and um, a lot happened, you know. And then I became a public school art teacher. And I felt like, (laughs) oh, no, (laughs) this won't do. You know, I had to tone down. I had to. And I felt like I had to put my art away and I felt Mm. inappropriate. And that was also how I felt kind of as a child, you know, whenever I'd get caught being naked (laughs) or looking at myself, Mm. I would be told it, it wasn't very nice. And without much explanation, you know, so I always thought it was quite nice, you know, but but I always (laughs) had to tone it down. So I put Art Michael aside and I tried to switch to symbols like 
peaches and tally marks. And I had all these symbols that meant the same thing, but they weren't graphic. And then Mm. over that teaching, I I quit teaching because I I had my fourth child. I have four children. And at number four, I know Mm. I had been in the business for like 17 years and I was tired and burnt out. And I decided to take a break. And then at home, I started baking everything from scratch. You know, I think here in the United States, everything's wellness, you know, all natural and natural sugars and let's get rid of processed and bake from scratch. And I think the world is kind of on that kick. And so I joined it and decided I needed to learn how to kick the boxes and cans and bake from scratch. And I ended up opening a bakery because I'm a perfectionist. (laughs) And and so I baked and baked and baked like thousands and thousands of pies and cakes. And I did weddings and the whole thing until I burnt myself out doing that too. (laughs) And so um, then I was just kind of left with myself, like, you know, like, well, what do I do now? And I started feeling that loss of my art and myself. And, you know, there's a little bit more to the story, but one day this idea just dropped in my head of vulva pies. I mean, like, you know, there's like a voice from God. I don't know. It it was just that powerful. It it was like, you can make Mm. vulva pies. There's so many women who are unhappy with their body. And then I, and of course, you know, I was thinking women, not vulva owners, because I'm a woman and I have a lot of body issues. And so then I Mm. went to the computer and started typing in like vulva and found out so many women have no idea what a vulva is. (laughs) You know, Mm. I think the statistics were like 76% of women in an interview didn't know. And that was mortifying. And then Mm. I went and was like, well, how will I, you know, and I started, I talked to my husband and then I told my children that I, they're not little kids, you know, they're all grown except for one and she's 11 still at home. But I told her that I was going to do this. I'm going to make vulva pies. And they're just like, okay, (laughs) you know, do what you got to do. And then, um, <laughs> they didn't understand it, you know, but my husband, he's an artist also. He is very supportive that he felt it was a powerful idea because I was so passionate about it. And then as I studied more like how I how I'm doing this and I kind of had to untangle why I wanted to do it, I came upon a site called Gyno Diversity mm-hmm. and it was all these women had just sent in photos of their vulvas so that there would be this huge collection of what they really look like. And it's very clinical and categorized by like age and race and relations like sisters. And and it's not perverse at all. It's beautiful and overwhelming the amount of diversity. And when I saw that, I just felt like this is what I need to do. You know, I need to make these realistic vulva pies for whatever reason. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I did it and I did see the, the humor and the irony because, you know, women are frequently called 
hair pies or pies, you know, piece of pie. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I just went for it and um, it evolved as I started making it. But it took about six months before I got the idea and I had the courage to actually share. So I'll stop talking. Oh, (laughs) no, no, no. I was loving all of that. It's such a beautiful, beautiful sort of story of conception. And I feel like, you know, my next question was just going to be about like why you're so passionate about shining light on vulva diversity and, you know, why it's so important for us to see what real genitals look like. But you sort of started going into that already. Like it's it's a very noble quest. And I, I have a couple of coffee table books as well that have a lot of photos of vulvas and I mean it's a little bit less clinical than that website there's um there's a book now oh who is it by oh my gosh this is terrible I um I really should be referencing the author but I can't remember off the top of my head oh my god I've got it here hang on oh yeah that's right Andrew Barnes and Yvonne Lumsman and Yvonne's just Oh, she's a firecracker. I adore her. Can't believe I forgot her name. Fuck. Um, and it's called Heart of the Flower, the book of the book of Yonis. And they've done it really artistically, like, you know, with like professional photography and they're like putting flowers next to the images and sort of around the images to um, show just how similar a lot of labia look like to flowers and petals. And it's quite an honouring, beautiful way um, of, yeah, making vulvas into art which I think you're also doing and I just yeah adore that you've had I mean it's so funny you definitely don't do things by halves do you you just go so hard at what (laughs) um I don't yeah sorry you go that's and I don't oh I'm sorry I don't I don't know how to half step you know it's just I I don't I just go all the way and I get so excited that I throw myself into everything and Mm. that's how I ended up burnt out of teaching and baking (laughs) but this is very energizing I feel like Mm. it came full circle to what I was supposed to be doing all along but you know if I hadn't taught all those years I wouldn't have the compassion than I do for us as women and people in general trying to make our way through life and you know it's just when I another reason that it was so important to me was labiaplasty and finding out mm. that people were trying to get des- designer vajayjays have you heard that term <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like wow you know like that's where we're at where we think we were born wrong you know Mm. and I I understand like wanting to I I don't know the where I'm really trying to go but I understand wanting to be beautiful and present yourself in a way that makes you feel confident but when all of your idea of why you're not beautiful came from other people's opinions that's what hurts my heart Mm. you know and so that's kind of why I wanted to showcase these things you know like I wanted to I wanted people to see the vulva I wanted them to see all the the long five inch long labia and the, you know <laughs> exterior inner labia that just there's so much diversity and beauty that I had no idea even existed when I started this 
totally I I like this is all music to my ears this is all these are the things that I think about a lot um and that I also talk with clients about a lot I've had several clients that have had labiaplasty in the past you know as young as 18 which is just fucking heartbreaking to me um and I do I, I get it like like you said I mean I even when I was 18, like my version of, you know, altering my body to try to feel beautiful and not be so self-conscious. And, you know, it did end up making me feel more sort of sexually empowered and have higher self-esteem. But I got like practically my whole bloody body, like all my body hair just lasered off because I just got so, so self-conscious and bullied in high school about my body hair. And, you know, all the derogatory things that teenage boys would say about like, you know, Freya's got a hairy muff and it's like they'd never even seen my bloody muff, but it's it was just Yay. so unacceptable to have a, like a skerrick of body hair. And I was really, really, really cripplingly self-conscious about that. And so as soon as I turned 18, I spent all my bloody bakery money because get this I used to work at a bakery I've worked at lots of bakeries no. <laughs> yeah oh, which wow. is ironic because I'm a fucking celiac so I can't eat any of it um oh, but no. yeah I <laughs> yeah I went and spent it all on IPL and then you know laser hair removal and oh years and years of like agonizing pain it was very very painful especially the Brazilian and getting all my body oh. hair lasered off. And so, like, you know, now it's it's probably normalized to the point, you know, labiaplasty is normalized to the point where that would almost be as chill to someone. The thought of getting that done would be like on par with maybe laser hair removal for me back then, because I think it's almost getting more like it feels the people that I talk to that have gotten it done or that are considering mm-hmm. it, it just, it seems like so not a big deal to them. So normal, like, oh, whatever. It's just a little, like the the marketing around it is like, it's just a haircut for your genitals. And it's just like, right. fuck oh. that. There are so many nerves. And I know it's very, it's pretty devastating to me. And, and it's like just that, yeah, that sort of, um, cultural like societal media driven and sort of cosmetic surgery industry driven beauty standard or expectation of women that is driving the I guess the sort of feeling that we're not we're not okay unless we fit into that and get these procedures done and change ourselves to yeah I mean I don't want to get on my soapbox about this too much because I feel like anyone listening to this podcast probably gets it um but yeah I think like the more sort of ammunition we can add to the other side of that you know coin which is like showing actually you're normal it's so not it's so fine that you might have you know longer inner labia or that your labia don't look like the ones that they're showing you on you know porn and in these like yeah it's just it's just so important that there are you know books like the one I was just talking about and there's your art and you know there's there's this amazing resource called flip flip through my flaps by um comfortable in your skin and oh it's, wow you know yeah it's amazing there's just heaps of pictures like really beautiful she does yoni photography and really beautiful pictures that are normalizing the full range of diversity in vulvas and labia 
And so like the more of that and the more normalized that diversity can become, you know, through people like us, the better because, yeah, then we can avoid this feeling of not enoughness and this feeling of like, oh, my God, I'm so hideous and repulsive. I need to alter myself in these really drastic ways. Um, So, like, I'm wondering what, if you don't mind me asking, what was what's your relationship with your yoni and sexuality like and has it shifted or changed since doing this sort of art, you know, like do you feel like you have more self-love and body confidence because of creating vulva pies? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, mm-hmm. I have really in, in real life a lot of body issues because I am overweight. So I have trouble with baking goods too. Like you said, you're celiac and I try not to eat them all the time. <laughs> so it's probably you know, my, my own self-consciousness and my own anger about being made fun of as a child, you know, cause I was just born this way. I didn't, I went on my first diet at like age six and it made me so sick. I passed out from hunger, you know, but I look back at pictures of my young teenage self and I was not even, but a little bit overweight, you know, and I thought Mm. I was huge and I was so hard on myself and swinging back and forth between disordered eating and, and like, I don't even know how many diets, but, you know, just being so unhappy with my body. Um, and so it, it has helped me become more comfortable but I think it's also helped me have more love for all of us from every vulva owner is having the same kind of struggle. You know, we're all just trying to feel love for ourselves. We're trying to do so much, you know, whether we're mothers or we're working or we're hustling and trying to be self-employed, mm-hmm. you know, and we're trying to be beautiful and we're trying to bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan and never let them forget their man. You know, that used to be a commercial when I was a kid, but it was, we're trying so hard and we all have a story where we've been made to feel less than what we really are because of having a vulva. And that is absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. So I feel um, a lot of love and compassion and protection for my my little vulva art community that I've fallen into that I didn't even know existed when I decided to make vulva pie. <laughs> you know, I didn't. I had no idea that there were people making photos and casts, and I didn't know there was a vagina museum. I didn't. I didn't know <laughs> any of this. Bye-bye. So I just, I feel very like I've expanded. There's a lot of space in me now that wasn't here before I started this. Mm, Beautiful. That's so cool. Like I, I feel like quite, quite similarly with, I don't know, just, it wasn't my sort of uh, overarching intention when I set out studying, you know, this sort of work that I do now and working with women actually massaging and getting all up in their vaginas. But 
a side effect of that has been (laughs) that um, my, I guess, respect and compassion for myself and my vulva has grown and and also I guess like every single time I have a session with a client and I'm you know working on their body and I'm giving them massage and nurturing like loving touch and helping them to release trauma and helping them talking to them about like you know their vulvas and how they feel about it and reassuring them that actually like it's they're so normal and there's nothing wrong with their vulvas all of that is almost like I'm getting that transmission to and it's it's almost sort of doing more and more like healing work on myself and bringing it's it's like a sort of ritualistic act of worship because I'm sitting in this space of like real reverence as I'm holding space for this other person and all the while that's you know also filtering through my subconscious and like helping shed more and more and more you know, of those flaky layers that you're talking about of sort of latent shame and guilt and things that I'm still holding because I don't think there's ever a quick fix. You know, we, we are holding crazy amounts of, um, shame and conditioning and those layers, you know, some of them are ours, some of them are from our experiences or trauma or, you know, just the culture that we live in. And then some of them are like intergenerational layers of shit that we're, we've taken on and we're carrying from like our great grandmothers and stuff. So I feel like there's just always more to be worked through and let go of and released. And I really value that component of my work that actually allows me to constantly be you know just letting go more and more and more shit and like getting closer and closer to like a real like fundamental baseline of love and self-compassion and yeah it's it's pretty special um so I love hearing that you're kind of it's 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 having a similar effect on you as you work in this space and talk to more people in that space as well it is. And I was listening to you talk about how you work. You know, I I think when I'm working on a vulva pie, I am so up close. Like I have my photo blown up like on my full screen so I can see it because I could never have a real model sit that long, you know. And then my <laughs> face and my whole self is just down in the pie in a way that I, you know, I've never been this close to a labia because I couldn't even get that close to mine, you know, <laughs> if I tried. So and just seeing how it's put together and how it it goes, I feel that connection. And I'm just amazed every time that it it works like it does and it's built that way. And it's, you know, Mm. like if you really look at my photos, sometimes there's little hearts in the skin flaps and there's these shapes and textures that, they're just beautiful, but and I did not add artistic liberty to any of them. I they're just as close to reality as I could get. And I just love I love the bodies, you know, it's so cool in the most, I don't know, reverent way I can say it, you know. Mm, oh wow, that's so cool. And that's like that's exactly where I'm wanting to go next, is like talking about the actual making of the pies and your creative process and I've got a few questions around that, but first I would love to just drop in 
this segment that I call Get Pregnant and Die. Don't have sex, because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise? And I actually can't remember if I worded you up about this, so I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot and you totally don't have to, um, you know, just wheel out a story. But basically, this is the point in the show that I ask people if they've got a story or an example of how, you know, how your sex education really failed you. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, I had a (laughs) very clinical sex education from my grandmother because her mother had died when she was 15 and that sounds terrible but because she died just suddenly my grandmother didn't know anything about her body and she didn't know anything about what was going to happen and so I was raised by my grandmother and she wanted to make sure that didn't happen to me so she Mm. told me you know this is your vagina. This is how it works. One day you'll get a period, you know, like we'll get you some pads <laughs> and then um, boys are always going to try to get it. <laughs> Don't give it to them. You know, it was like <laughs> sex was, was some candy that I could pass out to some good young man who came along. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then in school, our sex ed teacher was so uptight. She just blushed the whole time and never left the podium <laughs> you know, where she sat gripping. And um, she, I just, I remember learning that we had body odor and that um, we could get terrible diseases <laughs> if we had sex. And then a funny story is I was sitting next to a girl named Tanise. I don't know how I remember her name, but she wanted to know what an orgasm was. And she was too scared to ask. And I had no idea. So she told me to ask and I was pretty outspoken. So I raised my hand and I asked, what's an orgasm? (laughs) And the teacher just, oh, wow. She was so embarrassed and, um, she said it it was like a climax, you know, like the height. And we all just didn't know what that meant, you know, because we were like, I think, sixth or seventh grade. And then she said um, that was the end of it. Like the end of what? <laughs> you know? And she's like, an orgasm is, is when it's over. And we were like, mm. OK, <laughs> you know, that was all she could yeah. tell us about it. But so I, I think that it, it pretty it pretty much failed me in, in empowering me in any way. It it just mm-hmm. seemed like the, it was this thing that was going to happen one day and I would know when it was right and good luck, <laughs> you know, go team. Yeah. <laughs> go team. Oh God. <laughs> so funny. I mean, it's funny, but also just really sad that, um, yeah, like even your sort of health teacher was just so mortified by speaking about it like that in itself, no matter what she had have actually told you, even if she had have given you like the most comprehensive, amazing, like, you know, empowering sex education, the fact that her delivery and her blushing and her like obvious discomfort with the topic would have then just 
you know, popped on yet another right. layer of like shame and oh, sex is something really like awkward and uncomfortable and shameful and people feel weird talking about it. So like, let's not talk about it. And, you know, it's even just subtle Definitely. things like that, that can, that can do damage. Um, so that's kind of, right. you know, one of the ideas behind this podcast is like, let's just talk about shit openly and frankly and normalize having a dialogue about this stuff because, you know, that's right. one of the biggest ways that I see um, having an impact on that sort of ever-present underlying shame and discomfort with the topic. Um Great. And that was a ripper example. <laughs> one and one other it's like a, a side addition to this is I had inadvertently been exposed to pornography at a very early age because mm. when I was walking home from school one day, I look I, I'm very nosy and being an artist, I like collecting things, you know. And I looked in a trash can and there was a Playgirl magazine. Not Playboy, mm. but Playgirl magazine in the trash. Oh. And I picked it right out of the trash. <laughs> and I ran home and went through cover to cover. And there were all of these men <laughs> just letting it all hang out, you know. And then that kind of led to my curiosity. And I'm snoopy, so, you know, like I'm nosy, like I said. So I dug <laughs> around and I found the porn stashes I found the movies and so I was like a low-key connoisseur of this pornography you know and still not knowing anything about it but just seeing these images you know I think at that age of say eight and then recurring all the way you know into adulthood and not knowing quite what to make of them but thinking that that was kind of like a lesson plan, you know, like, okay, mm. so these are the noises I make. This is how I perform. This is supposed to be enjoyable. You know, this is how it yeah. goes. Is that enjoyable? And some things in porn don't really look enjoyable, but they're <laughs> appearing to enjoy, you know? So just my mind trying to unravel all that too in my, in, in addition to my clinical sex ed, you know? Oh, wow. How confusing. How did, how did, like, how did you feel when you were looking at the porn? Like, was there any kind of eros to it or arousal or were you like sort of fascinated or repulsed or just a real mixture? Yeah, sometimes it was very arousing. You know, I think it, it definitely led to me exploring my own body earlier than I think my friends you know, but I really just kind of kept it a secret. Like I didn't mm. even, you know, but when my friends started, when we started, you know, doing the making out with boys and things, I always felt like I was the more experienced one, but I mm. wasn't really, you know, but they would ask me questions, you know, like about mm. things, you know, just like even tampons yeah. and things. I was always the one who, knew or they could talk to so I guess that was mm. kind of a good thing but it also yeah. made me very guarded it was it I feel a lot like I, I can't I feel like that would dishonor somebody who's been through more of a 
sexual abuse, but I have a lot in common mentally. And I feel a lot of the same ways that I read abuse survivors feeling about sex. You know, like I had a lot of trouble with, I felt like it was a trauma of sorts because Mm. I felt shame about it and I couldn't tell anybody. And I had Mm. seen all of this and some of it's very like involving children. I mean, just, you know, bad stuff. (laughs) And, and, um, and so I always felt like I had been exposed and new things happened that other people didn't. And maybe that also Mm. caused me to be performative, you know, like when I started engaging sexually, I, I was, I tried to be more like what I had seen instead of what I really Mm. felt like was a natural path. Mm. I don't know. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes <laughs> that's, sense. That's a like a big overshare. <laughs> no, I love that. It's no, that's like, this is the thing. If, if, you know, you had felt like it was um, acceptable to talk about this stuff at the time, maybe that sort of secret that you had and all this stuff you'd been exposed to and didn't have the tools or like inner resources to actually process wouldn't have been so isolating and so traumatizing, you know, like that's why talking about it's so powerful because I think, you know, back then you would have felt quite alone in that. And like you had all of this, you know, knowledge or you'd seen all of this stuff that your peers hadn't and you didn't really know how to make sense of it or like what that meant. Um, And then when you started exploring, like, you know, of course that was your kind of, that was your sexual model or blueprint that you were trying to emulate because that's the only point of reference you really had for sex, that it was, you know, this kind of performative thing. And yeah, I mean, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Like that was really beautiful and vulnerable and powerful to share that. Thank you. I didn't know I was going to share that until I started talking. So <laughs> there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Well, just to head back to the the pie topic, um, I'm really curious about yeah your creative process. Like something uh, not not too many people know about me is that I actually used to do some baking myself. I um I studied patisserie and cookery and chocolate making. Okay. So I did a lot of like uh, a lot of, you know, sugar art and cake decorating. And we did a, a whole sort of section on baking, which like I found really quite therapeutic. And it was a bit of a, a bit of a bummer because I couldn't actually eat all of my creations myself. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, I know that you know, on one hand, baking can be quite methodical. It follows this like sort of repetitive process each time. And that can be really therapeutic and, you know, become second nature. So you can go on autopilot with it. And you, like you were, you know, pumping out thousands of pies for your bakery. And then on the other hand, for you, I'd imagine it's like really creative and this really unique outlet for your art. And, you know, it holds this deeper reverence and almost like ritualistic worship of of the female form as well. Um, so I'd love to know a bit about the actual making of the pies and, you know, do you, so you said you use a photo, like are these people that send in photos for you to make Yoni pies for them or are you just getting them online? Like do you do commissions for people? Talk me through it. 
Well, um, I have used all photos so far that I've found in the Wiki Media Commons, and they mm-hmm. are copyright free images. And a lot of them come from that project, Gyno Diversity, I think, mm. because they shared, they wanted to share everything in the public domain. And so I found a lot of those images. And so far, I've used that, what I find in Wikimedia Commons. And then I get a lot of messages for people who want to give me submissions and have me make them into a pie. But I haven't felt comfortable receiving their photos in a way Mm -hmm. because it's not that I don't want to do it. It's because my husband works in web side of things and a lot with security. And he was concerned about the security of their photos when they sent them to me. Like he wanted to honor and make sure nothing's Mm. leaked or taken or, you know, their names aren't associated in a way that they would never want it to be. So Mm. we're trying to find a secure process where people can submit their photos. And then I will take that, you know, and then um, for the boob cakes or breast cakes, I call, I just call them the cake. I haven't even given them really (laughs) a name, but um, for the cakes that I did, I paid for, figure models and Mm. they came with a whole shot and so there's a site called pose space where you can flip through figure models and they have professionally done photos and I bought two packages and you're allowed to use those photos in any way to make art you just can't publish the photos that you actually bought so That was an interesting experience because I've worked from a lot of live models, but I've never shopped for a figure model, (laughs) you know, in in figure model class, you just kind of get lucky with whoever has the courage to show up and take the job, you know, Mm. (laughs) but um, that was kind of interesting. Just looking for the body I wanted to make and trying to find a model that fit my ideas for the cakes. But um, my, yeah, and then my process is everything is made from scratch, all of the, just like if I were going to sell the pies to a customer, you know, I use my own recipes that I, they're not my own, own recipes, you know, because I developed them over time. So they're tinkered with, but they're like the cherry pie filling, the peach pie, you know, it's all things Mm. that I would really (laughs) sell. So I make batches, I make big batches of pie crust, like say a quadruple batch. And then Mm -hmm. I colored them and experimented with different ways to color the pie crust, like adding, say, freeze-dried strawberries or freeze-dried beet powder or what happened when I used different types of cocoa to get the different skin tones that I used for, I think Mm. it's series four, maybe three, but so... It's all just just like real baking. And then when I do the pie art, I roll out the top crusts separately. And I work on those for a couple of weeks and keep them in the freezer and pull them out, you know, a couple and rotate my work on them until I get them all finished. And then when I have all the pie toppers done, then I assemble the pies and have a baking day. 
Well, I have a photography mm. day. Then I have a baking day. Then I have another photography day. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry, cool. They're not big pies. A lot of people think they're like nine inch, big, normal size pies, but they're mini pies. And so they're actually mm. life size, which is another, <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. But yeah, definitely. And and then who eats them? Do you sell them? Do you donate them? Like, what do you do with them afterwards? No, I'm still a, very much a public school art teacher in my community. You know, they think that I don't, they would have a heart attack if I showed up. With, Here, guys, have some vulva pies. No, but um, I I haven't shared them with my neighbors or friends, but in my family, we eat some of them. And some of them get destroyed in um, the making of the photos. Like I always do this thing I call the after party where I cut them up and put them into pieces and take photos, just however they move me to, to be Mm. shot in the photography. And so we'll usually eat some at the time and then we'll freeze some. But my daughter, you know, she's 11, so she won't have anything to do with, the top of the pie <laughs> we have to remove the top if she's going to eat any <laughs> but so they're really yeah. not made for for food but mm. i think i get a lot of people feel like i'm being very wasteful if i'm not eating every bite so i, don't I know. mean you could I always donate them to a homeless <laughs> shelter or something and really spice up their day i feel like there'd be a way to yeah distribute them in a way that felt uh, you know, didn't feel wasteful. And um, it's that that's interesting because I was going to ask you, like, ha- you know, you're saying your daughter, you take off the top beforehand and things like that, and that your community would probably have a heart attack. Um, and I wanted to <laughs> ask, like, ha- you know, how how do your family feel about it? How do you, cause I, I've gone through my own sort of process with becoming comfortable enough to, it's almost like coming out, like coming out as someone who works in the sexuality space, coming out as someone who massages vaginas and talks about sex and things like that has been really challenging and really like, um, confronting at times, especially when I was first starting out. Uh, and my sort of confidence wasn't, super robust yet um and so my process was around like building up that confidence and letting go of enough of my own shame to be like loud and proud about my work and I think when it came to my family and my immediate community that was the most challenging so you know where are you at with that and and are you embracing kind of setting an example creating like a sort of sex body body female positive um environment in your like immediate surrounds or is it more like online at the moment that you're making an impact and in your sort of day-to-day life with your kids things like that is you know what about your older children and stuff like how public are you with this and what's your feelings around that right um well I'm I'm trying to think of where I could describe to you where I'm at I'm using my real name (laughs) so at first I didn't put any name with it I am willing to talk about it with people around me and I am not personally embarrassed of it I'm still worried about like what the parents of my students 
we'll say, because I mm. taught kinder, kindergarten through 12th grade at different times. You know, most recently in the city I, where I live now, I taught elementary art. And when I started my bakery, a lot of the parents that I taught, their students supported me in my bakery. And they were all very excited. And I made their birthday cakes and their anniversary cakes and their Thanksgiving pies. And I was very much part of their family. And they developed this persona around me that I allowed them to have that I'm so sweet and so kind. And I really am all of those things, but being a sex educator probably doesn't fit in that, you know, because I live in a very, (laughs) (laughs) Oklahoma is very Bible belt. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but we're a very Mm. conservative religious community with traditional blue collar values. And there's a Mm. lot of um, fear with teachers and their kids and just, you know, I wouldn't want them. I don't know what they would think and I can't really control that. So where I'm at now is I'm proud of the art that I'm making and I'm so happy with how it's growing and people are receiving it all over the world. You know, I mean, you're across the globe from me and we're having a conversation like this. So it's amazing. (laughs) And um, my, I'm very open with the art with my children and my um, children that are older are very supportive of me and they're proud, you know, of me too. Mm. Follow me on Instagram and, you know, um, but it's like I've told my sister and my sister-in-law, but not my mother and my mother-in-law, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah. because my mother would say I wasn't being very nice, <laughs> you know? Mm. So it's like, how mm-hmm. do I, but I want, it's like, I don't feel there's anything wrong with it, but I'm more thinking for other people that they might think something's mm. wrong with it. So mm. mm-hmm. I, I'm, totally. I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck. I'm straddling that, but I did put, my own, you know, like I am putting my name on things. I put it on my LinkedIn. (laughs) That sounds corny. Wow. (laughs) I put pies in the window and I think I'm ready to just say, you know, I I don't feel like I need to go have a TED talk and tell everybody, okay, guys, this is what I'm doing, (laughs) you know, but if somebody came to me and asked, I would be willing to have a conversation. Totally. I, yeah, I relate to all of that. I think it's a, it's a journey and it's a process and it doesn't have to happen overnight, but it's like gradually getting more, I guess, because I'm, I'm similar. I'm like, well, you know, I, I do have a responsibility to like represent this, um, stance that I'm taking about, you know, sex, not being something that you should be ashamed of and therefore just being able to talk about it and like, you know, but then I come up against like dinner parties or events where people are like, oh, so what do you do, Freya? And I just have to like pick my fucking battles and assess how is this person going to receive this? What is this? Is this going to lead to a conversation that I just can't be fucked with? Are they going to be really uncomfortable and confronted? And then we're going to both sit in that awkwardness and it's going to not be really worth the energy because, you know, a lot of the time it's not like I have 
like I'm, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed, but I can tell that the other person would be really challenged and I don't want to put them in that position. And, and like, yeah, I like, I like pushing people to their edge a little bit. I like challenging people's beliefs and just like sort of offering a little, I don't know, just sort of a bit of a nudge or planting a seed. And, and sometimes that can be really helpful and a positive thing to do for them and like, you know, the world. But sometimes it's actually just not going to have that effect at all. Like if they're nowhere near the point where they would even be mildly receptive, then I I try to pick that and and anticipate that and then just sort of adapt to like where they're at so that I'm not like basically dragging them into like a non-consensual, super awkward space that's bringing up all their shit and their shame around sexuality. So I feel like I'm in this similar place where like I have my own journey with it and then there's also like that sort of broader context where you're trying to navigate and manage where other people are at and like how you can best serve that situation um, where you're still like maybe opening people's minds a little bit and stretching things and you're being true to your own like integrity with like where you stand with it all, but you're not, um, you're not just like gung ho sort of throwing shit out there, you know, like there's got to be a bit of uh, like you got to be really intentional and conscious around those conversations. And, um, and I think it's always evolving and I've gotten better and better at, um, predicting, you know, how receptive someone's going to be. And like, I find, cause I, I like, if I'm at a party or something and I've met someone new and they're from a pretty different world to me, or maybe they're just, I can tell they're just not, yeah, they're not going to be receptive or open. Um, it is such a drainer for me when, because like it's the most common thing, like people, new people are going to ask you is like, oh, so what do you do with yourself, Freya? And I just want to fucking roll my eyes. Like these days, some of the time I'm just like, ugh, that's a shit. Like, that's a boring question. Don't, don't like, let's move on. Let's not go there. Like, I can't be bothered. I'm passionate about what I do, but the act of even trying to describe it to you and then help you understand is just going to absolutely drain the fuck out of me and I can't be bothered and you, it's not even worth it, you know, like for some, yeah, it's it's something that I grapple with really often and some conversations are incredibly rewarding and people are interested and intrigued and they've got heaps of questions and they want to understand from like a place that I um I really appreciate and then others it's just not it's not the case at all and then you know when you're bringing in things like you were saying your mother or your mother-in-law you know certain family members that there's all already all of these like layers of I guess you know history and potentially some complex dynamics within the relationship um they're from a completely different generation that often just don't really understand like yeah it's it's a whole thing isn't it <laughs> It it really is, and it's so hard to, uh, like, I mean, shoot. <laughs> it's like we know what we mean and we know what yeah. we're doing, but some people cannot see our bodies without seeing them as 
some like I think you use one of us used the term sex hold the other day, you know, but that's <laughs> like they cannot they cannot get over sex to mm. actually talk about all the other meaty bits that go with mm. it, you know, so that we get equ- equated. I don't even know. We get, it's like getting stigmatized ourselves for having the mm-hmm. courage to enter into this space. They start casting us as words yeah. that they have their hate for whore. And, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, they can't understand how you could be in the area and not either be a, a gynecologist delivering babies or maybe they might understand a couple sex therapists, you know, but mm, they're mm-hmm. definitely not going to understand people that are teaching women to be excited about their own bodies and using the term vulva owner to be gender non-specific, you know, and they're not going to mm. understand self-pleasure and ownership of our body for ourselves, and not because it's a vessel for others, you yeah. know, and just oh. having to say, um, this is mine. This is my body. I want to understand it more and enjoy it more. You know, they just start, you can see their eyes start like mm. going side to side. They're a little confused <laughs> and scared. <laughs> so, I know. And I oh. can, <laughs> So anyways, that's kind of why I, and I know I shouldn't think for other people, but I think it's a way of protecting myself too. Cause like you said, it's draining and it can be scary when you trigger somebody's really bunched up emotions and hate. Mm. And I don't, I just don't want to go through that. I'd rather talk about it in safe places right now. I've only been doing it too for you know, a year, and I've only been sharing it publicly for about seven months at the point of yeah, this recording. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so that's kind such of a tender. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I had a similar kind of feeling when I first started out doing yoni mapping and, and sort of tantric body work where, yeah, I had this experience with my mom where um, she was kind of like, well, you know, what are you like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> you know, you should go to uni, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was studying to be a yoga teacher and studying yoni mapping, but I hadn't told her about the yoni mapping part and this whole other side of my life. And I was kind of sick of getting the whole, like, you know, when are you going to get a real job conversation? Um, and I was like, all right, look, like I am actually doing something with my life. I'm studying something that I'm really passionate about. And I think is going to be really rewarding, but I haven't told you because, I don't want to cop the judgment, the negativity, the sort of naysaying because it's in a really early stage where it's quite vulnerable, it's tender, I'm finding my way with it and I I don't want to expose that and myself to anyone else's like judgments or like a commentary. And I was like, if I tell you, like, you know, here's a crosswords, if you if you want to be part of my life and you want me to really tell you what's going on for me and what I'm passionate about and what I'm doing, I'm so down to do that and let's let's do that. But you need to just be fucking supportive and don't don't put your shit on my shit. <laughs> um, for lack of a more yeah. articulate way of putting that. And and otherwise, um we can just go along like, you know, kind of these acquaintances that, you know, I talk about the really palatable stuff that I know you might want to hear and can handle hearing. 
and then and then I have a whole secret life that you're not part of and that I have to hide from you. And it was a bit of an ultimatum. It was a bit like, all right, for fuck's mm-hmm. sake, here we go. We're going to, are you going to, are you <laughs> in or are you out? And she was amazing. She, I, it was obviously confronting and a bit challenging and it was a bit like, oh, fuck, okay. But she could obviously yeah. tell that I was, you know, I was giving her an opportunity to actually foster more of a close relationship and, you know, have her p- be part of my life. Um, and she was like, okay, like, yep, let's go. And I kind of told her about it and I could tell it was it was a bit weird and uncomfortable for her to receive that and she probably didn't know what to think and probably had a whole heap of like, you know, assumptions and judgments come up straight away, but she reined it in and she tried to be supportive and even just, even though it wasn't like she was super enthused by it, she was making that effort and I appreciated that. And then since then, she's been more and more and more supportive and I've become more established in what I'm doing and and more confident and, um, you know, kind of been at it for mm-hmm. five or so years since then. So I think she's finally realized like, this is my thing. This is what I'm doing. And she's fucking amazing. Like it, it wasn't something that she probably envisioned her daughter doing or that she was super on board with to begin with. But now she likes every single one of my Instagram posts. She reshares stuff. She tells her friends about it. She's like really on board and I don't know what her true, true, true feelings are about it, but she's made that effort and she's opened her mind up enormously. And she's, yeah, I'm really, really appreciative of um, the effort that she's made to embrace that for me, um, which is really cool. It's really cool. I think it's quite a healing um, process for a mother and daughter to go through. Um, And it's meant that our relationship is, is healthier and closer because I don't have to hide this whole thing I mean and my dad's another story haven't fucking told him anything can't be bothered going there (laughs) but yeah I really relate to like where you're at and 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 I think as you go along and it and it becomes it builds momentum and you know you really establish yourself and become more and more uh it's more ingrained in like your your life than naturally you know maybe more people will know and you'll have more conversations and yeah, so it's really cool. And so I just to like kind of follow on with that whole thing around being yeah, being public about this sort of thing when it's it's quite vulnerable and very much uh an easy target for you know, negativity and judgment. Like what about yeah. like talk to me about being on social media with this sort of content and and like, you know, are you copying backlash? Do you get trolling or negative comments? You know, like what are some of the things that you've had to face when going public with your vulva pies? Um, well, at first I got a lot of um, men commenting, you know, like with the squirt emojis and the, ooh, tasty and things like that. <laughs> and I'm, I guess teaching so long, I am able to kind of hit with a facade of professionalism, like, oh, thank you for your comments, I, you know, and just kind of deflect like I would a student mm-hmm. saying something inappropriate. And I got messages about um, when are you going to show men? Do you want to, you know, do you want to model yeah. <laughs> things? And I was mm-hmm. worried I was going to start getting a whole feed of dick pics, but I didn't. Everybody kind of 
rose to the occasion. I think the verbiage I use in my posts kind of set the tone. And mm. 78% of my um, people, it says they're female, mm. you know, and I think that kind of sets a very positive environment. And then I try to mm. use hashtags that um, bring in that supportive community. And mm. I think the biggest problem I yeah, the biggest thing I've had is people take screenshots of my Instagram feed and then they share it in other places online or they repost it without credit. And then the comments with without my words and without the space that I've created for my pies and my art, they mm-hmm. become kind of like a joke. And I see the comments like like someone made a post and put numbers on my pies and like rate this pie, which one would you smash or which one are you eating tonight? Uh, you know, those uh, comments and it, yeah. it just hurts my heart. And, um, I, I try like when I see someone sharing it out of context to go on the page and say, you know, thank you for sharing my work. Cause I really do believe all publicity is good publicity, you know, mm-hmm. and I just want to say, you know, thank you. And then I'll respond to comments, you know, like someone saying that one's worn out or some terribly hurtful thing. I'll come back with, you know, that's a myth, actually, <laughs> you know, our bodies mm. can't get worn out. And um, I'll, you know, I'll yeah. just try to engage in a conversation, like you can see more of my art. But um, I have had it's it's always been women and they've always been very upset that I'm exploiting women's bodies or using the women's body again to get attention because, you know, mm. our bodies are used to sell, 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 sell hamburgers, sell cars, <laughs> you know, sell records mm-hmm. or I don't even, do they still call them records? What do music, <laughs> music, help, you know, music covers, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, Sex sells and people think that I've made this art to get attention and I have, but not through exploitation. It's supposed Mm. to be attention through community and it does catch your eye because you're looking at a hyper-realistic body part made of dessert, you know, and I know that, but I didn't, I didn't do it. So somebody would want to actually engage in a sex act with my dessert Mm. (laughs) yeah oh my god it just must be so uh, so hurtful and so frustrating because yeah like I mean there's like fabulously there's this growing trend creating art depicting female genitals and it's becoming more popular as a focus for artists and it's you know I think it's generally like pretty fab and it's usually intended to be an act of worship and feminine empowerment and education and be really uplifting to women. You know, it helps normalize and destigmatize the female body diversity that like is, is actually a reality, but not sort of portrayed in the media. Um, But like, then there is this real issue with people. uh, I mean, there's always haters, isn't there? And it, that whole thing around like nudity or vulvas or anything to do with sexuality being viewed through the lens of the male gaze and being hypersexualized versus being seen 
for their value other than just as a sex hole, as you said. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, that just like brings on all of these derogatory comments. I get all, like always the first question when it like with certain people is like, oh, like, is it a sex thing? Is it, are you trying to give them an orgasm? Like, is, is it, they think of it as like, well, you're touching genitals, so it's sex work. It's a happy ending. And that is not at all what I do or what it's about, but there's not, it's so, um, there's no like categories for this thing that I do and this thing that you do where it's, where it's involving genitals and it's, it's, you know, making commentary on sexuality and body diversity and things like that. Um, but it's not explicitly sexual. It's not, it's art. It's, you know, honoring the feminine. There's all of these other intentions behind it that we understand and a lot of our audience understand, especially females. But yeah, because, because so far, the only way that people categorize anything to do with genitals is either sexual or medical really so yeah I'd imagine you get a lot of a lot of that I do and I think a lot of as a visual artist first you know the the female artists that we see throughout history we always or a lot oftentimes we present with that central cavity you know of the yoni of the vaginal canal these voids these flower shapes because so much stigma and pressure has been put on women in every way surrounding this body part that when we start thinking what like when I'm thinking what does Michael think about this how do I feel and you really start getting in touch with yourself as an artist you have to confront this society's view of your body you know Mm. because that's what we are you know and it's Mm. like our whole life it's like when you get in a boyfriend when you get in a boyfriend who are you dating Mm. who are you going to prom with (laughs) um when are you getting married oh you're married when are you buying a house when you've been when are you gonna have babies how many babies when you have more babies you know why Mm. don't you have a baby and and it's like they just it's like no matter what we do we're dealing with commentary mm. and pressure and from something. And so that vulva shape that even like all the way back to ancient art, the fertility figures and the mandorla, it's like an almond shape that recurs throughout mm. history. I mean, it's, it is sacred and it's also our way of processing ourselves and it it's not meant to sexualize us you know it's meant to celebrate Mm. and it's it's very hard for people when they're seen out of context or like when you just come on a a yanni pie (laughs) in the the wild or vulva (laughs) vulva art you know and then it's we do giggle and laugh and it's but then it's it's sad when it's taken in the same way as a, like they get cat called, you know? And, yeah. and so mm. I don't know where I was going with all that. I think I lost my train of thought, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's that's okay. <laughs> totally. Oh, it happens to me all the time. Cause it's something I'm really passionate about and it's such a complex and deep 
like far reaching topic. There's so many layers. It, it is easy to get kind of like tied up and yeah, it's, I, yeah, it's all valuable though. I feel like it doesn't really matter where you were going with that. Everything you said was fab. <laughs> um, and I've got a few more questions for you before we wrap up, but just before I do that, I want to just slot in the segment TMI. We love it. And I, I guess like this is a segment where I ask, I mean, you sort of already gave me a bit of a TMI or you labeled it TMI story earlier. I don't feel like there is such thing as TMI. There's no such thing as too much information for me. I'm relabeling TMI too much inspiration because I just feel like it's so important that we, um, we talk openly and frankly about all of the things that, you know, were and still are in a lot of contexts considered too much for for public consumption. And I just, I think that's bullshit. I think it adds to the layers of like shame and stigma that we're trying to remove. And so this segment is to have a little yarn about something that you might not tell your mother-in-law. <laughs> so with that said, do you have a TMI story for me? And and also know that you you don't have to participate. That's also very inspiring just to say no. Oh dear. Um I don't know if it's TMI. I, I do have the you had asked me earlier about my daughter and how when I'm at my computer, you know, and I have all the work up and and so working on my artwork and being, it's very graphic, you know, sexually. I, I don't know if that's, it's, those types of images are taken sexually as we've been talking. So one day I have my back to the big window and I'm working and I have my screen up with the vulva and then I have my pie out working and all the kids come <laughs> to the doorbell to get my daughter <laughs> to ring. And I felt just like I was looking at porn, you know, <laughs> like slam my yeah. computer shut, hide everything. <laughs> so that was just funny. Uh, Not really TMI. Yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> That's all right. It's still a great story. I feel like I'm probably going to be one of those mums, like, you know, in that show Sex Education where she's, she's got her office with all of these kind of vulva sculptures and dildos and whatever. I'm, I'm probably going to embarrass the shit out of my kids, um, but I'm, I'm embracing it. Um, so how, sorry, sorry. There's a bit of a delay. Um, I was going to ask how, how do most people react and like what sort of response have you gotten from people since making the pies? Cause you know, we talked about like the more sort of negative out of context um, reactions, but you know, what, do, what do you mostly get and, and how, what do you think people appreciate about them? Like how does it make them feel? I, I think most people are intrigued when they see them because they they're so realistic and I think they're beautiful so I get a lot of comments about you know beautiful amazing stunning you know the typical Mm. Instagram but the (laughs) private messages that I get I get all these really heartfelt messages from people saying thank you um Mm. I never knew that bodies looked this way and that I was normal or mm. I hid my body for years. You made me feel beautiful for the first time ever. Oh. Um, thank you for, and 
because it crosses genres like between art and pie and vulva diversity, people who weren't actually looking for vulva diversity or didn't even know it was a thing pop upon it, you know, (laughs) and they're like, oh, Mm. what's this? And then they find something that they didn't know they even needed, you know, which is Mm. that body acceptance. And I I think that's been a really good reaction. And then um, it, it's just been more supportive and exciting and kind. It's the world has been kind to me about this in ways that I never I never thought because I was very afraid to post it and very afraid about the whole thing. But I just knew mm. it was bigger than me, and I had and I had to do it anyway. So. I just keep going forward kind of in a in faith like I'm being led across the high wire by some benevolent spirit here you know and I just keep going and it keeps working out totally I love that I I feel like I've experienced that with a lot of elements of my work as well and because it is so challenging and scary and out of out of your comfort zone to to sort of do that in the first place it's almost like the universe tries to make it a little bit easier for you in other ways and like give you some signs that, you know, you're doing the right thing and and this is all, yeah, it's that's awesome. I'm really pleased to hear that things have flowed for you and the universe has been kind to you and you've been getting amazing feedback because I know personally like doing doing something like in this line of work that's kind of taboo and can get a fair bit of um backlash and judgment it's so valuable and so appreciated and so necessary for me to keep going and doing the work and feeling like it's worth putting myself out there every single fucking day making myself vulnerable to the you know the online world I need it's so necessary I need those messages from people and that feedback where they're like this is this has been so helpful for me so supportive it's changed my life in this way or this is the effect that it had on me and I and I want to just thank you and I'm just I can't get enough of that I think you know that's what fuels me and I'm I'm so happy to hear that you've been getting that as well and everything has just been falling into place I feel like that's been happening mm-hmm. with me and this podcast like I you know, from the second I decided, all right, like, fuck this. I've, I've been thinking about this for years. I've just got to do it. I'm just going to upload something really, you know, just pretty hench, pretty ghetto, pretty just like, you know, DIY, whatever. Don't like tech barriers get in my way. And I'm just, I'm going to do it. And then I pretty much just had like the perfect, you know, I asked a friend to do the cover art and he fucking nailed it. And then I asked, another friend to do a jingle for me and he's made like a jingle that's like better than I could have imagined and all these funny little sound bites and you know I've had all of these incredible guests that I've approached just say yeah we'd love to and like book in in fucking December near Christmas like you know that's such a big ask and everything's just been happening so easily for me and I feel like that's such a great sign that this podcast is really what I'm meant to be doing it's what people need um yeah, it's very rewarding when that happens. So go us. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I, I was so excited when I saw you were going to do the podcast because, you know, you're just, your reels are genius. And I know sometimes this is a side thing, but it feels like sometimes things are so slow on the internet, like nobody's mm. watching, nobody's listening. But if you just 
keep doing it. Don't stop. I don't care if only five people listen. <laughs> Just keep doing it because it lives forever on the internet and it mm. will pick up, you know, and it's going to just grow and it's going to reach the right person and they're going to share it mm. and they're going to share it. And then once that logarithmic magic of internet happens, it's just, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's like, I can't, so don't, don't lose faith. Don't, you know, you're, I'm so proud of you for not letting technology stand in your way or, you know, and oh. it did, it came together so fast for you. I mean, it was just like oh, two weeks ago. It feels like <laughs> you said, I'm going to do a podcast. I and know. I'm here talking to you. <laughs> Yay. I know. It's so crazy. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I feel it. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I've just got to persevere and keep doing my thing. And, you know, it'll get to the right people. Um, and I'm so, I'm so grateful that you're part of it. Like this will be one of my first few episode episodes that I launch with. And I feel like we've had so many important conversations that, uh, I mean, I just nerd out on this stuff. I could talk about it forever and I feel like you're quite similar. Um, and yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to get this out to the world and hopefully it, it, um, you know, it feels supportive and, in interesting and informative to some people and um yeah I mean one last question I I wanted to ask before we wrap up I know we've gone a little bit over time but it's my podcast so I can make it however long I want um, <laughs> I'm I'm wondering like do you recommend like art and creative activities as a way to embrace your own body and genitals more and grow your self-confidence and self-compassion? Like, is that something you feel like everyone could benefit from and should maybe have a crack at? Oh, I certainly do. It's, I I don't know if everybody would feel comfortable making genital art, you know, but I definitely think everybody should get a mirror and look at themselves privately in a way mm. where they don't feel like children are going to be sticking their faces under door cracks and things, but I mean, <laughs> just have a look. You might, I mean, it, it, it'll put you in touch and then try to talk lovingly with yourself. And so whether you write mm. or see, allowing yourself to be creative, because I don't think that there's people always tell me they're, they're not creative, but I just, I think you, that means you've just lost touch with your creativity. It's in there, you know, mm. just let yourself play. And yeah, there's act, you know, it's very meditative to let yourself do draw the, the vulva shape or, or a mandorla, you know, get a coloring book, do whatever makes mm. you feel good. And, um, if anything, look at look at other people's art. And when you feel inspired to do it, don't talk yourself out of it because that's the killer. <laughs> we always are like, I'm not, I can't. I don't. Yes. So just let yourself do it and just don't show it to anybody. Throw it away if yeah. it's trash, <laughs> but do it anyway. Yes, yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> I think that's like it's a trap I fall into is like thinking that if I'm if I'm doing some art or creating something that's like not going to be shown to anyone else and it's not for a certain purpose. Um, like I used to be in bands and I would like write songs, but I would write them because I was going to perform them on stage and like make it a, a song with the band. 
And then I found that if I wasn't in a band, I never, I never wrote songs. Like I didn't do it just for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fall into that trap a little bit with art as well. Like as a kid, I was so creative and crafty and artistic and I would just constantly be doing some, something artsy. Um, and then these days I kind of, don't prioritize it and I think like it's you know maybe it's not for everyone and I do I know a lot of people feel like they're not creative but I agree with you I think everyone's creative like we you know sexuality sexual energy is also just creative energy the feminine is creative and we all have the feminine in us um and so like a really amazing place to sort of start is like switching up your mindset around like why you're doing it or why you should do it and like you know, the mirror exercise, fabulous. I often give that as a home play practice to my clients, like just get a mirror out and do some yoni gazing and have a look and just connect with that part of your body. And then if you do choose, like if you feel like comfortable or inspired, the next sort of bit of homework I give people is like do a little painting or drawing, like do some yoni art because it's, you know, it is this like act of self-love and worship that sends a message to your subconsciousness that you know you are worthy of making art about and spending this time on and like looking at and really yeah it's um it's kind of like I I enjoy thinking of doing anything even you know you were saying when you first became a, a school teacher and you had to like tone down really tone down your uh, the explicitness mm. of your art and use symbols like peaches and things like that. Like even if people don't feel comfortable drawing their, you know, their vulva, like mm-hmm. using symbols in in things or like just little, it's almost like a little secret, your own little secret, and you know when you're doing it, it is it is like a tip of the hat to your your yoni and your inner feminine and your body. And so all of those little things do have an impact on your subconscious and do start to help release shame and bring more closeness and self-compassion. So whatever, wherever you're at and whatever way that you can incorporate a little bit of, um, I guess, self-worship and and like body positivity, whether it's just doing some drawings because or like some mandalas because that is you know, tapping into creative energy, which is inherently attached to your femininity and your sexual energy, or whether it's like going all the way out there and doing a yoni painting and like, you know, using a mirror to look at your yoni as you're painting it, like all of it's valuable. All of it is a really beautiful um, act of self-care and self-love. So yeah, I really love that. We're leaving listeners with that little bit of um, inspiration that maybe they might want to try. Um, or bake yeah. a pie. Bake a pie. Yeah. <laughs> or bake a <laughs> pie. Totally. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I am going to leave it there. I just have adored our conversations. Thank you so much again for coming and chatting with me in the Labia Lounge. Um, and if people haven't already sussed out your Instagram or your website, I would highly recommend, like, you know, just get off this podcast and immediately go check out pies in the window because it's phenomenal and you'll see what we've been talking about this whole time like this is like pretty cool shit michael's creating like very very lifelike beautiful detailed vulva art um and yeah give it a follow check out um she's got a really beautiful spiel on her website around like the ethos and and her intention behind 
um, you know, this, this art. And, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. No, See you later, thank Michael. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT, and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.